Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, I want to share a couple things with you guys and for you that are watching online as well because I think it applies to, to everyone here. Um, how do you get the most out of a worship service? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what your Sunday morning process is. Some people, their procedure is we get in an argument on the way to church. You know, if your husband and wife, you know, that's just that's what we do every Sunday morning. It's kind of it's a norm. Um, hopefully not. Um, but how do you get the most out of coming to a worship service or watching it online? However, um, I want to encourage you, you know, at Calvary Chapel, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Right now we're in the book of Numbers. This morning we're going to be looking at chapters 7 and 8. And so you, you kind of get a clue. Unless we have a guest speaker, you pretty much have a clue of where we're going to be. So what I would encourage you to do is to, um, before you even come to church, maybe during the week or Sunday morning, Saturday night, um, get out your Bible and just read ahead and pray through it as you're reading and say, Lord, you know, what do you, what do you have in here for me? Um, and then come with a prayerful attitude of expectation to hear from the Lord. Because the Bible says that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So just want to encourage all of us here, um, you know, come with an expectation to hear from the Lord and uh, he will re reward you in that. The other thing is, and I appreciated what um, Tracy shared, you know, as we did this last song, Quiet My Mind, you know, that is, that's a tough thing to do. Um, you know, we have, you know, and I'm, I'm not one that I don't, I mean, I'm using an iPad for my notes, but generally when I read the Bible, I, I, I don't know, I'm old school. I, I like to read out of a Bible, out of a book, you know, and so um, I don't read off my, my uh, mobile devices. And some of you do, and you know, uh, hey, that's the generation we're in. Praise the Lord. It's not a problem with that. Um, but I know um, I can get distracted very easily. You know, a text comes in or something happens or, you know, something. Uh, so, you know, for me, quieting my mind is so important. And so I just want to encourage you to put away the extra, uh, not the extractions, the distractions. Put away the distractions and uh, just come with an attitude of, Lord, what are you going to speak to me? You know, if you do that and you get into the habit of doing that, God's going to reward you, I guarantee you. So I just want to encourage you in that this morning. Just wanted to share um, that with you. And uh, so, again, like I said, we're in Numbers chapter 7. Um, and chapter 8. And uh, Numbers chapter 7 and chapter 8, they deal with, a, with giving. You might say, oh great, he's doing a sermon on, uh, on uh, tithing and stuff. No, not necessarily. Um, chapter 7 deals with, describes the giving of the gifts that the Levites gave uh, to the Lord. And so what does it speak of for you and I? Well, I think the application, it speaks of the gifts that we give to the Lord. You might say, well, get it. There he's talking about money. Listen, I'm not necessarily talking about money. I'm talking about our time, our talent, and our treasure. It could be our treasure, but it's also could be our time and our talent. These are the things that we give to the Lord. And so chapter 7 kind of addresses that. And we'll be looking at that as we go through that. Chapter 8 deals with the dedication of the Levites for service. Um, and it I think the application, what it speaks of is, you know, chapter 7 was the giving of the gifts that we give to the Lord. Chapter 8, I think the application is the giving of ourselves to the Lord. What do I mean? I mean our hearts, our minds, and our strength. And so both chapter 7 and 8 
talk about giving. And so we're going to be looking at it from those aspects. So beginning with chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Um, you know, many people, they look at this chapter and they go, well, wait a minute. The tabernacle, this is like it's out of chronology because the tabernacle's already been set up. And if you read Exodus chapter 40, Chronologically, this event that, that we're reading here in verse 1, it took place when the tabernacle was raised up. Um, but I think uh, the Holy Spirit has just put that in this chapter because it fits in with what the Levites were doing at this point. It's kind of, an, kind of like changing your focus. Okay, now this is what the Levites were doing. Um, but chronologically, it goes back a ways, um, back to Exodus chapter 40. Verse 2. Then the, leader, then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their fathers' houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon according to their service, and four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. Now, you've got to remember, these are voluntary gifts that the leaders of these families, God didn't require it, but these, these are voluntary gifts that, that these leaders of these different tribes uh, or of these, of these families are giving to the Lord. And he, in turn, is distributing these gifts uh, to the three groups of the Levites, the descendants of Levi. Um, two carts, we read, and four oxen were given to the sons of Gershon. Last week... I think it was last week, we talked about what the sons of Gershon did and what their job was as being Levites when, the, when it was time to take up the, the tabernacle and start traveling again through the wilderness. Their job was to carry all of the outer coverings of the tabernacle. The courtyard had a, had a, had a, had a it was kind of like a curtained off courtyard, very large. And so those curtains, those hangings, um, the, the door entering it, which was a screen thing, they, they took that. Um, the actual coverings, you remember there's multiple coverings over the tabernacle. All of those items is what the sons of Gershon took. And so God gave them some carts, uh, two carts and four oxen to pull. To, so they'd take all this stuff up, wrap it up, whatever they did, and then they'd set it on these carts and then they would go with, with the carts as they traveled. We read that four carts and eight oxen were given to the sons of Merari, double of what the sons of Gershon got. Why? Well, their job was to carry all the physical structure of the tabernacle. There were, there were heavy sockets that the poles set in um, along there. There were the boards. Uh, there were bars. Um, there, you know, all the heavy um, structure, basically, 
you think of like a house with the framing and the siding and all that, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Um, that's what they took. They carried the physical structural support components of the tabernacle and the weight of some of these things probably required the extra carts. And so the number of carts that the Lord is distributing to this, these guys, it was relative to the burden that they were to carry. Um, then we get to the sons of Kohath, and it says they didn't get any carts. Oh, man, no fair, right? Uh, what was their job? Well, last week we talked about their job was to carry the most holy things inside the tabernacle. That would have been things like the altar of incense, uh, the table of showbread, uh, the lampstand. We'll be looking at that a little bit later in this chapter. Um, also, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the Ark of the Covenant, that in, inside of it, that had the two tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments. Those were sitting inside the Ark. The Ark was basically like a box. It had a gold cover. The gold cover had two cherubim, which were angels facing each other. And, uh, and then, and that was known as the mercy seat. And God said, hey, above the mercy seat, that's where I'm gonna meet with you. And so this was a very holy, these, these things were very holy and they were to be treated reverently. And so they were designed, as God just told them how to build them, they had rings and they were to put gold poles through uh, the rings and then they were to carry them on their shoulders. Again, all these things represented God's presence uh, among them and his, their worship of him. And so they were to treat that differently than say just a covering. Of the, artic, of, the, of the tabernacle or a pole or a, or a socket or something like that. They were to be treated with the reverence they deserved. And you know, if you think about it, a cart is something that man makes and it's kind of like man's ingenuity. And uh, God didn't want man's ingenuity involved with the holy things of the tabernacle um, or to have common beasts carrying, you know, pulling the carts. Do you remember a story, and some of you ladies probably do, if you, I think you did 2 Samuel, didn't you? And yeah, you did 2 Samuel not too terribly long ago. I think it was last uh, spring. The story of King David. And he, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it was, it had gotten captured by the Philistines. That's kind of happened a long time ago. And it was sitting in a guy's house for a long time. And David wanted to bring it to Jerusalem. You, you probably know the story. And so he went out to the house of Aminadab. It's in 2 Samuel 6, if you're taking notes. Um, he went out to the house of Aminadab where the cart had been, or excuse me, where the our covenant, Ark of the Covenant had been sitting. And they put it on a new cart. Hey, this is brand new. It's for the Lord. It's dedicated to the Lord. Nobody's ever used it. We've made it specific specifically for this purpose. That sounds pretty good, right? So they put it on that cart and then they started going to Jerusalem. And at one part, uh, at one point, the cart, you know, it hit a rut in the mud or something and the Ark of the Covenant, you know, it's wobbly. And a guy by the name of Uzzah, man, he didn't want to see God's covenant, Ark of the Covenant fall on the ground. So he grabs it to touch it and he dies right on the spot. Wow, pretty, pretty intense. And uh, man, David was angry. He's like, Lord, why did you do this? And the Lord revealed why he had done that. Da David evidently had not taken this chapter um, of Numbers into consideration when he did that. There was a prescribed way uh, to, do, to, to handle the holy things. There was a prescribed way of how these things were to be treated. You know, sometimes in ministry, there's a temptation to use the world's methods and the world's values in ministry. Um, what do I mean by that? World's methods and world's values. Sometimes churches are run more like businesses 
You know, it, it's uh, they have uh, you know business people that are handling the finances. They they uh, they have uh, marketing you know plans and stuff. And 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 we got to be really clever in our marketing. How do we draw people in? You know, a business does that rightfully so. How do you draw in customers, so to speak? And how do you keep them returning? That's what a business does if they want to survive. And some people bring that into the church. Well, we got to do the same thing in the church. How do we draw people in? Well, you know, we say we do certain things. Maybe we conduct a poll, see what people want to hear. Uh, we avoid things that they don't want to hear because, man, we want to keep them coming, you know. And so uh, we get into that mentality sometimes. What other ways? I think worship's a, a good example, too. You know, sometimes with the world's methods and values, worship's designed and performed in a way to stimulate and to please the people that are coming. You know, we got to make this atmosphere just really cool so that the people really, they can enter into worship and stuff. And what happens is the focus becomes on the worshipers. Uh, you know, we, we need to stimulate them. We need to get them to a place. And, and, and instead of, it, it kind of becomes like a, like a musical concert in some respects. And rather than focusing on the one that the worship is directed to, the focus becomes on the audience. That's how the world's methods can creep into the church sometimes. You know, our focus here at Calvary Chapel is to provide the opportunity for the worship of the Lord. That, that's, what, that's why we do worship, is to provide an opportunity. But it's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on the worship leader or the worship team to get you to that place where you're worshiping from your heart to the Lord. That's up to you. And, you know, sometimes people go, well, I don't like the worship and stuff. You know, it's your choice if you're going to be, if you're going to, if you're going to enter into a worship yourself. Just like I said, you know, come with an attitude of church, you know, come with an attitude to receive from the Lord. Come with an attitude of worship to the Lord. Um, you know, some people say, well, I don't like the worship. And, and truly, you know, we don't, we don't try to be offensive. We don't try to pick songs that nobody likes or anything like that. But I got to be frank with you guys. You're not the ones we're trying to please. We're here to please, please the Lord. So, I mean, sorry to burst your bubble, but that's just, it's just the truth. It's, it's really, it's not for, okay, some people are, you know, it's, it's really not for you. Um, so, anyways. You know, God doesn't need man's help when it comes to church, when it comes to ministry. He allows us to be involved, but he doesn't need our help. Um, Alan Redpath said this, and it's regarding the, the, the portion of scripture that I mentioned about David when he brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and he did it on a cart. He said this, we want God's presence very much, don't we? But we like to hitch his presence to some of our new carts. We like to add him to our list of organizations, to load him on the top of the mechanics of a busy life and then drive. How much of our service is really in the energy of the flesh, I wonder. So often we put forth our hands, but not our hearts. I like that. So we get to verses 10, and this is actually a very long chapter. Verses 10 through verses 88 describe the gifts of the Levites. And we'll start looking at that. Verse 7, excuse me, verse 10. Now the leaders of offered, uh, excuse me, verse 10. Now the leaders offered the dedication offering uh, for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering, one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. 
And the one who offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Amenadab from that tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amenadab. A guy by the name of Alfred Edersheim He's got a book, I liked uh, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. It's a great book. It's a big book. It's kind of intense. He also has a book about the temple and its service and stuff. And, and he describes the weight of these, uh, he kind of puts it in contemporary terms, the weight of these things that, the, that these Levites gave to the Lord. The silver platter, the silver charger weighed approximately four and a half pounds. So four and a half pounds of silver. The silver bowl was approximately two and a quarter pounds in weight. The gold spoon or the gold pan was approximately one third pound. I, you know, I, I took those calculations and I went to, I Googled it. And I said, what's the today's value of gold? And by the way, it's going up, I guess. But what's today's value of gold? What's today's value of silver? On today's prices, the value of those utensils that we just described would be over $13,000. Over $13,000. And that's not to mention the cost of a bull. What does a bull cost? We could ask Dan. He could probably tell you. But a bull, the cost of a bull. Two oxen. Six goats, six rams, six lambs. How much does all that cost? Plus, there was the value of the fine, fine flour and the oil and the incense. So this was not just a cheap thing that they gave. This was costly to this person who gave of this gift. And what this speaks of, I think, for you and I is sacrificial giving. See, the gifts that you and I give to the Lord, it's got to cost something. There's got to be some kind of a value to it. And this is my first point. What we give the Lord of our time, our talent, or our treasure, it should cost us something. Could you imagine one of the leaders of these tribes go, you know, hey, um, you know, my mom, my mother-in-law, she gave us this, this dinnerware, you know, it's not even, it doesn't even, it's country. We don't have country. We, you know, we've got urban, whatever you call it, you know, we got Ikea and country just doesn't fit. We got these old dinnerware, so we'll donate that to the Lord. That's not it. They did gold and silver. And by the way, I doubt that they got a tax write-off either. And yet they donated that to the Lord. You know, there's a story, again, uh, King David, he kind of, uh, there's a lot of examples where, where we can look at with King David. There was a point where David wanted to buy the threshing floor of a guy by the name of Ornan. And on this, he, bought the, he wanted to buy this threshing floor because he wanted to build an altar, a burnt altar, uh, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. It's recorded in 1 Chronicles 21. Um, and so... That was his intention, to buy, to pay for this plot of land, this, this threshing floor. And Ornan, the owner of the threshing floor, he heard it. And he told the king, he says, take it to yourself. 
And let my Lord the King do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. In other words, David wouldn't have to spend a penny or a shekel, I guess it would have been. Um, they would have gave him everything, the land, the, the, everything, the materials for doing the sacrifices, the sacrifices themselves. Wouldn't have cost him anything. And what did David do? All right, man, cool. Save us a little bit of money. No, he didn't say that. He says, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. R.A. Torrey said this, It's a maxim from heaven. Honor the Lord with thy substance. He who has a religion that costs him nothing has a religion that's worth nothing. Our gifts, the things that we give to the Lord, it should cost us. It should be sacrificial. And not, a, not only should it cost us something, but listen, if you go through that, those verses that we read, both the silver charger and the silver bowl, they were full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. The gold spoon was full of incense. See, the offerings were not only to be costly, but they were to be full. Nothing held back. No skimping. Why? Well, look at Jesus. Look at, look at what God did. Romans 8.32 he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we, he not with him, also freely give us all things? Man, God gave us the most costly gift that he could give, his own son. And he didn't hold him back in any way. He didn't skimp on his gift to us of eternal life. And so why do we skimp when we give back to the Lord? Here's another event I want to draw your attention to, and it's in the New Testament. You don't need to turn there, but in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 and 44, through 44, Jesus is sitting just across from the tabernacle, or from the temple, I should say. And it says there in verse 41 of Mark chapter 12, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and he saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much, then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants, whatever that is, it's not much. So he called the disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. I don't know what a quadrants you know, the readers of that would have said, oh, yeah, I know what that's worth. I don't know what it's worth. It's probably not much. What she gave monetarily was no match to what the wealthier people, inhabitants of Jerusalem, gave. But God looks at the heart of the individual, not at the amount of what people give. She gave more sacrificially than anybody else. She gave all that she had. She didn't hold back anything. You know... Had Jesus not said anything, nobody would have noticed, right? They wouldn't have noticed. It's just like, oh, there's a couple of mites in the, you know. Every once in a while when, when uh, we do count the tithes, and, and uh, you know, every once in a while there'd be like some pennies in the tithe box. It's like, oh, or some change, you know, loose change. It's like, oh, okay, somebody. You know, we tend to kind of like, ah, you know, big deal. What if that was the last penny that somebody had? And they're like, man, I want to give it to the Lord. We don't take much value to it. And these people didn't either. They probably didn't even notice her walking by, but Jesus did. 
He was paying attention. He, he noticed them, and he notices now. He watches how you, how you and I give to the Lord. Now, if you look at Numbers chapter 7, again, I mentioned this is one of the, actually this is the second, I think it's the second longest chapter in the Bible after Psalm 119. But verses 18 through 83, I'm actually not going to read it because if I did, I would start watching everyone's eyes kind of glaze over. And you go, why? Well, because it's repetitive. It, these guys, there's different guys, but they all gave the exact same thing. So I'd be just be repeating it over and over again. Not that I don't want to, and I, don't, I encourage you, if you want to read it, go ahead and read it. But I'm not going to read it right now. For 12 days, 12 leaders each gave the same gifts. We get down to verse 84. We're going to jump a little bit to verse 84. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Now we get a summary. 12 silver platters, 12 silver bowls, and 12 gold pans. Each silver platter weighed 130 shekels and one bowl 70 shekels. All the silver of the vessels weighed 2,430 shekels, uh, 400 shekels, excuse me, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The 12 gold pans of incense weighed 10 shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans weighed 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offerings were 12 young bulls, the rams 12, the male lambs in their first year 12, with their grain offering, and the kids of the goats as a sin offering 12. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings were 24 bulls, the rams 60, the males, uh, male goats 60, and the lambs in their first year 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. So now we get this, the bottom line, right? The, 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 the summation. And you got to think, why did the Lord, why did God decide to have each person listed individually over and over and over again, why not just save some ink and get down to verses 84 and say, hey, that's what these guys gave? Well, the reason why is because these gifts were offered individually by each person, and they were recognized individually as well. There's a story in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. It says, and when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flax flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head and he sa as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, aware of it he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And get this, assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. We just did that just now. We retold the story and Jesus said, it's going to be a memorial to this person throughout history, what she did. Likewise, these men who were here in this chapter that we're reading about, what tribe they came from, 
what their names were, what they gave. It's been recorded by the Holy Spirit for thousands of years, passed down to us. We're reading that this morning. Why? Because God recognizes the individual gifts that people give. Not only does he recognize the individual gifts, but he rewards the individual gifts. Hebrews 6 verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. God pays attention to what you and I give. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And this is my second point. The Lord is paying attention to what you give him of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And not only is he paying attention, but he will reward you individually at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the second point. The third point is this. Whatever you sacrificially give to the Lord, and for some, it, you know, for that widow, it was a major sacrifice. It was everything that she had. Whatever you sacrificially give to the Lord, it only pales in comparison to what he gives you. In other words, you can't outgive God. Look at verse 89. Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Thus he spoke to him. What a reward right then and there. Chapter, verse 89, God speaking to the children of Israel above the mercy seat. That's a fulfillment of God's promise of his presence. He said in Exodus 25, verse 22, in speaking about the mercy seat in the tabernacle, there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in the commandment to the children of Israel. God's presence. Man, we want God's presence in our lives, don't we? Not only was it a fulfillment of God's promise of his presence, but it was a foreshadowing of the greatest gift that God would give to man, and that was his son. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, God provided a way for us to enter into his presence. There's no greater gift than that. To be able to, uh, uh, unholy, a sinner, a person like me, to come into the presence of a holy God, totally impossible if it wasn't for Jesus Christ the greatest gift. And this mercy seat was a foreshadowing of that. Not only that, think about it. Moses heard the audible voice of God at that point. The audible, and he heard a voice of God speaking. I've heard people say, I've heard the voice of God, and I'm like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe not, I don't know. Moses did. That's a picture of the throne in heaven. You know, the mercy seat, God's giving an audible, he's speaking to Moses. Moses is hearing his voice. He's getting God's personal guidance and, and personal instruction. Again, remember, these gifts were voluntary given out of love for the Lord. And I love what John 14, 21 says. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved my, by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Think about it. God has given us the gift of relationship with him. The almighty, the all-powerful, the creator 
of everything wants a relationship with you and I. And it's provided through the cross. And this mercy seat is a picture of that. So now we've spoken about the, the, the gifts of the Levites in chapter 7. When we get to chapter 8 now, we're going to look at the dedication of the Levites for service. And again, I think the application, it speaks of the giving of ourselves to the Lord, our heart, our mind, and our soul. So look at verse 1 of chapter 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you arrange the lamps... The seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He arranged the lamps to face toward the front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded Moses. Now this workmanship of the lampstand was hammered gold. From its shaft to its flowers it was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. The instructions for the lampstand were given to Moses and recorded back in Exodus chapter 25. It was made out of pure gold, one piece. It was fashioned by the work of an artisan. It wasn't just slapped together, it was an artisan that designed it. And the lampstand and the branches were made to resemble almond branches. And the top, where the, where the wicks and the flame came out, those were in, to resemble an almond blossom. So it just looked like a, a blossoming almond branch. You know, everything, including the lampstand, everything in the tabernacle is a copy and shadow of heavenly things. And I've been you know, trying to bring that out when we get to different places. The lampstand's no different. That center stem or that center piece of the lampstand that speaks to you and I of Jesus Christ that's a picture of Jesus Christ the branches that extend out from that that speaks of you and me as his children as believers and then the flames on the wicks they were fueled by a constant flow of olive oil and olive oil in the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit This lampstand, now if you remember, the, 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 the tabernacle had, had, didn't have any windows. It had coverings, heavy, multiple layers of coverings. There was like no light shining inside of the tabernacle from outside. So that lampstand was very crucial because it provided the only light in the, in the tabernacle. Again, being a picture of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, there's an interesting thing here in verse 2. It says, the seven lamps shall give light in front of the lampstand. What, is, what does that mean, in front of the lampstand? If you have a King James Version Bible, it says, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. And the Hebrew meaning of that is that they might, they might light the face of it. What am I saying? Well, not only did the light of the lampstand provide the, the only illumination inside of the tabernacle, inside of the holy place, but those six branches were designed to shine light onto the center lampstand to show the glory and the beauty of the, this artisan-created lampstand. You go, why? You're kind of curious. You know, we're talking about the gifts of the Levites. And then we're talking about the dedication of the, of the Levites here in, a, in the next verse. Why did 
the Holy Spirit decided to put this section of the lampstand right there in the middle of two subjects. Well, again, chapter 7 speaks of our, the giving of our gifts to the Lord, and chapter 8 speaks of the giving of ourselves to the Lord. And the purpose for giving our gifts or giving ourselves to the Lord, it's not to shine on us. It's like, look at the sacrifice I'm making for the Lord. Look at my abilities that I am giving to the Lord. You know, it's not to make us look good in any way, but it's to give glory to the Lord. That's the center. That's the focal point. And so the first point I want to bring up in chapter 8 is the purpose of the giving of ourselves is to glorify the Lord and not us. It's to show forth His beauty. And there's a second point I want to bring up too. We cannot illuminate the glory of the Lord both in our gifts and in ourselves unless we're constantly being fueled by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our, Spirit in our lives. Because if you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is always to reflect the glory of the Lord, to draw attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we want to glorify the Lord in our gifts, in our giving, our time, talent, our treasure, in ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our strength, it has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it won't glorify the Lord. Well, let's take a look at this uh, dedication. Verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. ceremonially uh, cer you know what I mean, ceremonially. Uh, <laughs> I can't go a Sunday without getting tongue-twied, right? No. <laughs> Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them and let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. So if you recall the priests of the Levites, those were the sons of Aaron. Um, they were dedicated back in Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 9, or chapter 8 and chapter 9. Here, these are the rest of the Levites. All of them descended from Levi, but these are other descendants, um, not of Aaron. And these Levites, um, <clears throat> they did not serve as priests inside the tabernacle. Those priests were de already dedicated, but these guys, even though they're just carrying a pole or a bar or a tent peg, we talked about a week or two ago, you know, it's, it's my job is to carry the tent peg of the tabernacle. Um, they still needed to be dedicated to the Lord. They still needed to be consecrated as well. Even though their work may not seem as spiritual, they still needed to be dedicated. They needed to have do it from a heart of dedication and consecration. Paul says this in Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God uh, the Father through him. Whatever you do. Colossians 3.23, And whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Listen, not everybody here is a pastor or an evangelist. Or, you know, fill in the blank, any kind of ministry of some sort. God made you just the way you are, with your personalities, the way you think, your position in life. God has placed you that. And here's my second point of chapter, or I guess maybe it's my third point of chapter 8. Whoever you are and whatever you do can be offered to the Lord. 
Notice after Moses sprinkled the Levites with the water of purification, which speaks about our regeneration in Christ, you know, we're made pure through the blood of Christ. Notice that the Levites themselves were to participate in that cleansing. They were to wash their clothes. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says this, Therefore, having these promises, brethren, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That speaks of constant confession and repentance. We go through our days and we sin. Lord, please forgive me for that thing that I did. Please, please restore me, Lord. I repent. I turn away from those things. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Levites, they were to cleanse themselves. Then they were to shave the hair off their body completely. And they weren't Olympic swimmers, by the way, but that's what they had to do. Um, you guys ever watch the Olympics? You know, they shave their heads so they get nice streamlined in the water. That's not why these guys did it. So I don't think anyways. They were to take the razor to the flesh and cut any hair off. This speaks about cutting away everything in the flesh that holds you and I back. How, how, do, we, how do we cut away things? And, and what do we do it with? Well, Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word is what cuts away all those things of the flesh in our lives as we read it and as we apply it. And you think about it. These guys being completely shaven, they would look like a newborn baby with wrinkles if they were old, but you know what I mean. <laughs> they look they look like a newborn baby. That, that, that's made to resemble a newborn baby. And I think of this, Romans 6, 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I love that. You know, you confess your sins. The Bible says God's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And then we can walk without guilt, without shame. We've been cleansed. We can walk in newness of life. We can, every day, man, we can, we can walk as a new creation in Christ over and over again, even when we blow it. Well, let's go on here. Verse 8. Then let them take a young bull with its grain offering of fine, fine flour mixed with oil, and you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall gather together the whole congregation of the children of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering from the children of Israel, that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons, and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. 
After that, the Levites shall go into service, the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who open the womb, the firstborn of all the children of Israel. For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. And I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. So the children of Israel there in the beginning, they were to lay their hands on the Levites. Why did they do that? It was a form of identification and substitution with the Levites. It was for the children of Israel to recognize that although they were dedicated to the Lord, their firstborn was to be given to the Lord. The Levites were being a substitute for them. They were offering themselves in place of the firstborn of all the tribes of, of Israel. And so it was their recognizing that. I want to reread verse 17 and 18. For all the firstborn among the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast, on the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them to myself. I have taken the Levites instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel. You know, looking at the application, everyone, everyone should offer their hearts, their minds, and their strength to the Lord, right? I mean, everybody. But for whatever reason... It could be sin, maybe it could be immaturity. For whatever reason, some people have not. And here's an encouragement for you. Don't let that stop you. Because sometimes we look at them and we go, well, well, they're not doing that or they're not, you know, why, why are you laying that on me, Lord, when I don't see anybody else doing it? Don't let that stop you from dedicating yourself to the Lord. And it's my, I, I've got a second point, but I'm, I'm sure it's not my second point. Do whatever the Lord has called you to do and don't worry about others. Don't worry about them. They have to answer to the Lord themselves. There's a story in John chapter 21. It's not a story, it's a true event. But Jesus is predicting how Peter is going to be martyred for his faith in John chapter 21. And so the Lord's sharing Peter what his, what his fate's going to be. And in verse 21... It says, Peter seeing him, and he's speaking, he's looking. So it, it, the Lord's speaking to Peter. Peter, this is what's going to happen. And Peter's like, okay, mm-hmm. And he's looking at John. They're always in competition with each other. And he's looking at John. And he's like, what about that guy? And so Peter seeing him said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Again, we offer our gifts individually to the Lord, but we also dedicate ourselves individually to the Lord. Don't worry about what others do or don't do. Verse 19. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work for the children of Israel in the tabernacle of meeting and to make atonement for the children of Israel that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near the sanctuary. Thus Moses And Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so the children of Israel did to them. And the Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord uh, and Aaron, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. 
After that, the Levites went in to do the work, their work in the tabernacle of meeting before Aaron and his sons, as the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so they did to them. I mentioned earlier that the Levites were a substitute for the children of Israel, right? They, they were to stand in instead of the firstborn of all the tribes of Israel. They were, to, they were given to the Lord for their service. But they were also given to minister to the priests, to Aaron and his sons, who were doing the actual sacrificing, offering the, the, the incense and, and, and changing out the, sh the showbread in the tabernacle uh, in the holy place. You know, these were the jobs of the priests. And so the Levites, God said, I'm giving them to you priests basically to ease your burden so that you can focus on the things that you need to do. You know, the, the third point I want to bring, and, or another point I should say, offering yourself to the Lord. You know, when I mention that, it's not like there's some ethereal thing like, you know, ooh, it's like I'm offering myself to the Lord. It's like I've got this attitude. I'm offering myself to the Lord. Listen, it works out practically. It works out practically in serving others. It works out in serving others. First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We give of ourselves in serving to one another, in ministering to one another. You'll notice, and I'm reading out of the King James Version, verse, verse 11, Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord like a wave offering. And not like, you know, woo, everybody stands up, you know, it's like the wave offering in a stadium. That's, that's not it. Uh, Aaron, <laughs> verse 11, they're offered like a wave offering. Verse 13, you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Verse 15, so you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering. Uh, verse 21, Aaron presented them like a wave offering before the Lord. What's the wave offering? The wave offering, and there was different sacrifices. The peace offering was one of them. They, they would take the offering and, and the priest would put it in the hands and they'd, they'd, they'd wave it. They'd, they'd, they'd lift it up and they'd wave it before the Lord and then bring it back down. It was to recognize a change in ownership of the sacrifice. Lord, this is, this is yours. Now, the peace offering would be given back because it was fellowship. It would come, come given back to the priest and eat it. But the other ones, it was, it was Lord, this, this is mine, but now it's, I'm offering it to you. There's a beautiful picture because it recognizes a change in ownership of the sacrifice from the offer to God. In Romans 12:1. Paul said this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Why is it your reasonable service? Why is it my reasonable service? Because we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We've been purchased. The Bible says our life is no longer our own. We've been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Christ. There's been a change in ownership. And so when we offer ourselves to the Lord, it's recognizing, Lord, this life this, that you've given me, my, my station in life, whatever it is, the gifts, the talents, everything that you've given me, Lord, I, I'm giving it back to you, for you. Verse 23, 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what pertains to the Levites from 25 years old and above. One may enter to perform work, uh, service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And at the age of 50 years, they must cease performing this work, <clears throat> excuse me, and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. So now they've been dedicated, they've been cleansed, they're ready to serve. And then God says, well, this is, this is the age that they're supposed to start serving. And at 25 years, uh, to 30 years old, it, it seems like they were in like an apprenticeship program. You know, the young guys, they, they enter in, they start learning what they're to do in their ministry for five years. From 30 years to 50 years, that's what you'd consider the journeyman, right? They know their job. They know that you could just tear them loose and they know what to do. And so for 30 to 50 years, so 20 years, the Levites were to do this work if you were part of one of these families. At 50 years old, so you did it for 20 years. At 50 years old, you didn't retire, but it was almost like you kind of were more of like an, uh, uh, an advisor role. You supported the work in other ways, but you yourself didn't do that actual work. I like the picture that's painted here. You know, the work may have changed, but the being dedicated to the service never ended. And, and that should be our attitude too. You know, it's not like, okay, I'm going to serve until I get to this point and then I'm done. I've, I've put in my time. I've done this for the Lord. I've done, you know, and we get this attitude. Now I'm, now I'm in retirement mode and, and there is no retirement mode in the kingdom. Your job may change. What you do, you know, the older women teach the younger women. The older men teach the younger men. We set examples. We lead. You know, we, we, we give wise counsel and stuff like that. But we're still involved in ministry. Notice when they were to serve from 30 to 50, what is that? That's the prime of their lives. They're not a kid. They're not immature. They're mature. They're not, you know, uh, they, they still have their strength and stamina at 30 years old to 50 years old. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the prime of a person's life, 30 years, or from 30 to 50. When should you and I offer ourselves to the Lord? Maybe you're thinking, well, you know what? After the kids are raised, I'll get more involved. I'll give myself to the Lord and stuff. Right now, I just got to focus on my kids. Or maybe, and I've heard this multiple times, you know, when I retire, man, that's when I'm really going to start serving the Lord. I'm going to get involved in this and I'm going to do that. I've heard people think, people think, I've heard people say, you know, I, I just, I'm too young. You know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I, I, and they have this attitude as, you know, I just don't know enough. I, I can't serve or whatever. Well, the question becomes, when is your prime time? When is your prime time? And this is the last point I want to make this, this morning. The prime time to offer ourselves to the Lord is now. It's not tomorrow. It's now. Now is the prime time. Now is the time to give yourselves to the Lord and serve. Because you know what? If you're like me, I tend to procrastinate. And sometimes I say, you know, I'll do this thing tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. You know, once this is done, then I'm going to do this or that. And you know what happens? Things happen. <laughs> and it crowds out those things. And I either forget or it's like, well, now I get this new thing. And once that's done, then I'll do this and stuff. It's terrible when you're trying to get things done around the house. I'm, I'm great at doing that. And you know, when the, I'll put off this and that. Um, 
But don't let that be your attitude spiritually with your lives. Now is the time to serve the Lord. Why don't you stand up? I'll have the worship team come on up. And uh, we're going to close in this last song. And, you know, I would encourage you here in the sanctuary, those of you that are watching online, make this a prayer. Just reflect on what we've just shared. I'm going to pray before we, before we lead in worship. But I want you to just, I'm encouraging you to make this to a prayer to the Lord as we worship through this song. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we're talking about giving of our time, our talent, of our treasures. We're talking about dedicating and giving ourselves to you, Lord, our hearts, our minds, our strength, our whole being. But Lord God, no matter how we might think that's sacrificial, Lord, it pales in comparison to the gift that you gave in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you came to live among us to die a death for us on the cross, to pay a price that we couldn't pay and to rise again from the dead. Lord, we thank you for the perfect gift and that, Lord, because of your gift, we have access to the throne room. We can have a personal relationship with a holy God, the creator of the universe, because you made a way, Lord. And, and Lord, now we have peace with God through you, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, nothing that we give is a payback. It's not a payback. It's not a evening up the score. It's not a, uh, you know, somehow uh, making us feel like, okay, we've, we've done our part, Lord. It's just out of love that we want to give ourselves to you because you're so worthy and you loved us first. And so, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, this morning, each and every one of us, those that are listening online, those of us that are here in the sanctuary, Lord, that we would really make it our aim and our goal to donate or to, to dedicate ourselves, our time and our talent, our treasure, our very beings to you today, Lord. And so may this song that we sing, Lord, be a prayer to you. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.